My testimony, and I'm, I'm here to study the word with you, but um, I was mentally ill. So for them to even let me in the building to counsel anybody, to talk to anybody, was a miracle. So one more time, because I called on the name of Jesus. Somebody told me, go home and call on the name of Jesus. They didn't tell me to go as great as church. They didn't say go to church. They didn't say go to the doctor. They didn't say go to the best place. They said go home. And if you call on the name of Jesus, he'll find you, he'll heal you, he'll set you free, he'll change your life, he'll change your neighborhood, he'll change your city, he'll change... And that's what we're going to talk about today, unpacking the Great Commission, because the Great Commission begins in your bedroom. It begins in your house, in your apartment building, on your block, in your school, wherever you are, that's where it starts. And you're going to have to call on the name of Jesus for you and for somebody else. Help me. Uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to just be in your word before your people. And Lord, we need you. I need you. The people need you. The congregation, the, the choir, the pastors, the elders. God, we all need you, excluding none of us. God, we want power today. We don't want to play church. We don't want to have church. We don't want to dance, scream, and shout in here and leave and be impotent. God, the only thing the devil respects is power. And God, we pray that today, this afternoon, you would do something so extraordinary in our lives that hell would have to contend with us for the rest of our lives. God, I don't have the ability to do anything apart from you. And so for the sake of those that are listening, I pray that you would bless me. Take over. Speak through me. Teach through me. Oh God, open heaven over us and give us a revelation. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, I am talking about unpacking the Great Commission. Um, if you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Just leave that open for a minute. I would ask you a question. What is the Great Commission? What is the Great Commission? So if I was to put the mic in front of you know, all of you, you would say, oh, go ye into all the world. Because everybody has that, that, that memorized in their mind. Now the Great Commission was Jesus giving his disciples identity, direction, and purpose. Uh, Matthew 28, 16 to 20 says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, that's the Great Commission, right? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all the things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. So he gives them a sense of identity because he says, you're going to go out and you're going to represent me. This is the church's job. 
He gives them direction because he begins to give them geographic locations and specific ways that they're to go out and do his work. And he gives them purpose because it's his message. It's not our message. We can't do whatever we want with the message. We have to take the message of the gospel to the places that he has directed us with the identity he has given us. Is that clear? Has everybody got that? Okay. Now that was Matthew chapter 28, 16 to 20. So these are their walking papers. Okay. These are their marching orders. These are Jesus's parting words because after he says this, all of the the, the gospel accounts uh, read that he ascends into heaven. So if you're, if you're taking notes, you might want to write down the synoptic gospels are the gospels that follow a synopsis. That's where you get the word synoptic from. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are your synoptic gospels. So they, they take a, a, a particular summarization and each one is like three guys in a room and they all are describing the same event but from three different vantage points. So let's look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and then let's take a look at the three synoptic gospels. We already looked at Matthew. We'll look at Mark and Luke and we'll examine each account of what would be considered the Great Commission. But in Acts it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, most of the time when we think of the Great Commission, we always associate it with Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, you know, this is in our mind and sometimes we even articulate it. But if you read Matthew's account carefully, which is the, 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 the great commission that we usually refer to, there's no mention of Jerusalem. There's no mention of Judea. There is a mention of the uttermost parts of the world. Now, the question is, why do we include Jerusalem and Judea when we're usually referring to the great commission? Because it says it in Acts. And we don't even realize that we just kind of contract all of those commissions together, which isn't wrong, which we'll see in a minute. So Mark's account of the Great Commission is a little bit different than Matthew's. He says in Mark chapter 16, 14 to 16, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. So we are already seeing some similarities in the accounts. In Matthew's account, the 11 were there. In Mark's account, the 11 are there. In Matthew's account, some were doubting. And in Mark's account, it says, and he rebuked their unbelief. So this is not a a, a completely different version. This is the same event from a different vantage point. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. That was quick. So Mark is what we would uh, consider, you know, kind of a highlight reel. And if you read through the gospel account of Mark, it's very, very fast paced. He doesn't really mince words. And you'll see why I'm mentioning that because Luke is almost like the opposite. So Luke chapter 24, 
verse 44 to 53 says, Then he said to them, he being Jesus, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written. So already you see Luke is giving you a lot of words. And that is why we get to see the directions that Jesus gives them because he goes on to say, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance, the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So, So here's the point. The point is that because Jerusalem gives you a more expanded version, he's the one that lets you know you need to wait. He's the one that lets you know you're going to start someplace and you're going to progress someplace. And I think that sometimes if we were honest as Christians, we hear the ends of the earth part. We know that Jesus will come after that last person. hears the gospel. And so everybody's got their eye on the ends of the earth. And they're trying to find that that people group, that last person that has never heard the gospel. And could it be possible that we are missing our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria? Now, I'm not saying that this study is exhaustive and definitive and that if you don't start here and if you don't go there, I'm not I'm not getting into all that. But what I'm saying is that Luke presents us with a great commission that includes a beginning. And he says, if you begin in Jerusalem, well, let me, let me keep working through. through. We're going to look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And we're going to unpack that text starting from the end of the verse and work our way back. So let's look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The end of the verse says this. And to the ends of the earth. So what is that? That is the most remote context that we can go and preach the gospel. In fact, at the conclusion of verse 8, this is what probably motivates modern missions efforts to take the good news to foreign nations. In an article by uh, shorttermmissions.com, a site study, uh, a study was conducted by Robert Wutno based on data from 2004. I know we're in 2018, but the data is still good. His findings, widely cited, estimate U.S. participant levels for that year at 2.4 million people, including youth groups and those serving in the U.S., participating in in overseas missions. 1.6 million Americans went abroad on missions trips in 2005. That's a lot of people going overseas to reach the lost. And that's a good thing, right? Evangelicals have grown from only 3 million in AD 1500 to 550 million worldwide. 2.3 billion Christians of all kinds have been recently reported. There are an estimated almost um, a million international students in the U.S. right now. 
And you might say, well, who cares if there's a million international students? I'll tell you in a minute. And the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon Cornwell Theological Seminary calculates that Christians sent out approximately 400,000 international missionaries in 2010. The United States sent the most at 127,000. We are doing a lot to reach the ends of the earth. And it's documented. But let's take a look at Acts chapter 2. If you go there with me. I want to talk about Jerusalem for a minute. Because this statistics also cited that there were foreign people in our lands. And while we are traversing land and sea to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel. Well, let's, let's read. So starting from verse 5, it says, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. Now this is the day of Pentecost. Peter gets up, he preaches a sermon, as you know. But who does he preach to? Verse 7, and they were amazed and marveled, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language? So how many different people groups were there at this time? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, um, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, uh, um, uh, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, um, Jews, Cretans, and Arabs. So, so right there in Jerusalem, there is the potential. If, if, if all of these men are converted, they go back to their countries and they bring the gospel message with them. Without the disciples ever leaving Jerusalem. So why does it matter that almost a million international students are here in our country? Because if we focus on Jerusalem on, on some level, I'm not saying you abandon overseas mission, but if we don't bypass the opportunity to minister to people right here, we end up converting those people and they go back to their own nation and preach the gospel. But sometimes our focus can be so much on the ends of the earth that we neglect our Jerusalem. Now, I, the research shows that there are people that try to theologically establish that we should not go because we got to win our Jerusalem. I'm not getting into that. This, this is not what this study is about. In fact, if you read in the original Greek, the, the, um, the account from, from uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it actually just says both Jerusalem and. So I'm not saying that we should do either or. What I'm recommending is that we do both and. Amen. That we be careful that in our attempt to reach our most remote context, we do not neglect our immediate context. What is our immediate context? Because we're not in Jerusalem, right? right? Geographically speaking, we are in New York. So then what is Jerusalem. If you'll, if you'll consider that for these apostles, Jerusalem was their 
in a sense, they were Galileans, but Jesus said, I want you to start. I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to start where you are. So Jerusalem is where you are. I heard two people say hallelujah and amen. Probably because some people don't like. Wait, in my notes, it didn't say that. Let me stop. Um, So your immediate context is the environment surrounding a literary, animate, inanimate subject. In this case, refers to the threefold geographic conceptual construct subsumed in the primary directive. What does that all mean? It just means that when Jesus said beginning in Jerusalem, he just meant start where you are. Start where you are. Please don't get saved and be like, you know what? I'm going to go to China. (laughs) I mean, you could go to China. You could go to China. But you're going to pass a lot of people first that you could have talked to. And we'll get into a little bit why you don't. Um, Jerusalem was the center of Hebrew Jewish life at the time. And I would like to compare, so, so if you think about it, Jerusalem were, was where Jesus was crucified. Jerusalem was where the religious people who were supposedly waiting for Christ, uh, when Jesus came, did not recognize him. He preached to them. They didn't receive it. And then they said, you know what we should do? We should kill him. We shouldn't even just reject his message. We should actually kill this person. And then Jesus leaves and, and tells his disciples, now you go and you talk to them. Somebody got that. He said, now you go and you talk to them. And the disciples was like, Jerusalem? Like, we can't, like we can't start maybe, right? Because they just killed Jesus. What's your Jerusalem? Because these were a people, I, I call it the world of the, um, of the, 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 um, the, the already assumptions. The already assumption. So Jesus is telling them to go to Jerusalem and minister, preach, teach his gospel. And I know what Peter is thinking. I know what they're thinking. We already did. We already went there and they rejected the message. We already, they already know and they've already made up their mind. They don't want to know. But what's the truth? The truth is that that is where he sent them. And on the first day that they got up and preached, 3,000 people get saved. So God is always right. They assumed that the people knew already, that the people heard already, and the people had already made up their mind. What's your Jerusalem? I believe my Jerusalem, not yours, my Jerusalem is New York. America, people who appear to be Christians. Do you know that America boasts like 200 million Christians or 2 billion? I mean, if that were true, I'm just saying. Like if if, if 70% of the population of America was really certified, bona fide, However, however, Jesus already told us that. Go preach to them. Stop assuming that they already heard. Stop assuming that they already know. 
Stop assuming that they already made up their mind. How many people did I meet after I gave my life to the Lord that told me they were Christians? I said, for real? How long have you been a Christian? Some of them folk got saved after I got right <laughs> because they were not Christian. They thought that I thought I was a Christian. I remember, I know this is not part of a study, but I remember I went to uh, my best friend's mother's house. She said, when you die, where are you going to go? I said, to heaven. Amen. To heaven. I was just down at the high school chasing kids and robbing them and doing all kinds. You know, we would come in like the Amalekites. I have to put it in Christian terms for y'all. We would come down like the Amalekites on camels and we would just be. That was back in the 80s. We could do stuff like that. And, um, and then at night we would go back to his Christian mother's house and eat and pray. And she'd be like, oh, Thomas, you love Jesus. I said, I love Jesus. And she's like. What were you doing today? I said, we was in school. I'm lying. She was praying for me. And she was preaching to me. She was taking the gospel beginning in her Jerusalem. I would come to her house and she would minister to me. And I did. I got saved. What else is in that immediate context? All of Judea. All of Judea. So what does Judea represent? Jerusalem represents a people who may appear Christian, may appear to be godly, may you assume they already know, they already heard, and they have already made up their mind. But all of Judah is like the anonymous people. Because when you think of Judah, most of us think of Jerusalem. Um, uh, historian Josephus wrote as to the other cities that were inferior to it, inferior to Jerusalem. He's speaking of Judea. They presided over their several toparchies, toparchies. Gophna was the second of those cities, and the next to that, Acrobata, after that, uh, Thamna, and Lydda, and Lydda, and Emmaus, and Paea, and Idumea, and, and Gadi, and Herodium, and Jamnia, and Jopa. I know somebody is saying, why don't he stop? Gaulonitis, <laughs> Batania, Trachonitis. Obviously, he can't read whatever that language is he's reading. Um, Agrippa, you know, like a bunch of cities nobody's ever heard of, right? Right? That's your Judah. The anonymous people, right? The person you buy your coffee from every day. You know, family members who are good people, but you know they're not saved. And you don't even know how they begin to talk to them about Jesus because they lived a better life than you did. Somebody was like, that's not true. Yes, it is true. You know, it was hard for me to minister to my mom. Because my mom was actually a better person than I was. But she wasn't saved. And I had to, I had to come to grips with the fact that Jesus was sending me to my Jerusalem, to my Judea. My mother was in my Judea. Other people were in my Jerusalem. And then Samaria. Oh my goodness. You thought Judah, Judea was bad. So now Samaria. Who was in Samaria? Who was in Samaria? Let's turn to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 17. 
Um, you've heard some things about Samaria. We're going to take a look at where all of those opinions come from. Samaria. The kingdom of Israel was divided into two sections. Um, after King David and King Solomon, there was the southern kingdom. There was a northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was considered Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. Judea is Judah, the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was destroyed. Repopulated. And for the most part, that is what is considered Samaria. Starting from verse 1 in chapter 17. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Elah, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned nine years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, only not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea became his servant and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hoshea, who had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and had offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. So the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded the whole land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. And in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria carried Israel away into exile to Assyria and then settled them in Hala and Habor on the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. So there is no longer anyone in Samaria. He took them and he put them in his own lands. Now let's skip down to verse 24. Same chapter. We're talking about Samaria. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and Zepharvaim and settled them in the cities of Samaria in place of the sons of Israel. So they possessed Samaria and lived in its cities. So the people of God are deported and ungodly people, foreign people are imported and put in this land, Samaria. Now, if we continue, it says that uh, in verse 25, and it came about at the beginning of their living there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them and killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria saying, the nations whom you have carried away into exile and the cities of Samaria do not know the customs of the God of the land. They don't know how to worship God. So he has sent lions among them and behold, they kill them because they do not know the custom of the God of the land. So the king gets a bright idea. Then the king of Assyria commanded saying, take there one of the priests whom you carried away into exile and let him go and live there and let him teach them the custom of the God of the land. Now some of y'all are thinking this is evangelism. This is not evangelism. This is religion. This is empty practices, religiosity. 
They take a priest, they put him there, and if you continue reading, which I don't have time to do, they begin to mix Babylonian practices, Judaic practices. I mean, just, they just mix everything up. And that was Samaria. All kinds of different spiritual, cultural beliefs. And this is why throughout the Gospels, you see people going, a Samaritan? Mm-mm. Those people are mixed up. Those people worship everything, anything. They do. I don't even know who they are. They're not my brother. They're not one of us. And so Jesus has to tell his disciples and Samaria. Jerusalem, Judea, and the people that you think are unreachable. The people that you think are so confused, they wouldn't even understand if you did tell them about Jesus. The people that you look at and you go, nah, I'm going to give my track to this person. They look like they might get saved. I know y'all don't, that only, only me. I'm just... I'm going to tell you something right now. Samaria represents the people we don't think can be saved. I know that's not Christian correct, right? Have we written off the psychotic people? Didn't I start out with that story? That woman said, when I came to her house, she said she could see the demons. She made me sit on the floor. I remember it like it was yesterday. I came in the house. She said, sit down. I was like, on the floor. <laughs> she said, sit down on the floor. Yes, on the floor. <laughs> she said, who's chasing you? I said, the people. She said, okay. <laughs> but here I stand. She could have wrote me off. She could have wrote me off. Atheists, the sexually immoral and deviant, young thugs, old thugs, career criminals, the intellectuals, the skeptics, the agnostics, the wealthy, occult practitioners, hardcore drug addicts, sexual abusers, cult members, religious adherents to other religions. Do you hide, and I'm not trying to be funny, or do you hide from Jehovah's Witness? Do you hide from the Mormons? Do you start talking to somebody about Jesus and then they tell you that they're Buddhist and you go, oh, forget it. Because you, they took you, they took him. I remember I went to a Buddhist temple for a class and um, I was talking to this lady and she had cut all the hair off and she was wearing the Buddhist stuff and she was doing the thing and burning the incense and everything. And I just, why are you a Buddhist? Why? And we just started talking. 
And, and really, that's what evangelism is. That's what being a witness is. It's really just talking to these different people. And a lot of times we turn it into something that it's not. Like, I mean, I'm not the greatest preacher, so I don't think I'm going to be like, you know, open air, like Pastor Dave, you know, open air, you know, like, I mean, I just go and talk to people. I was talking to a man in McDonald's today. I was just talking to him. Yo, what's up with you? Where are you from? Oh, I'm from India. You know, I invited him to the service. I don't know if he came, you know, but we had a, we talked for like, I don't know, 45 minutes. And I told him, you need Jesus. I told him I used to be crazy and now I have Jesus in my life. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. I don't know. Because I'm be honest with you. Everybody is looking for Jesus. They might be looking in the wrong place, but they're looking for him. You know, he was like, I'm here because I'm helping my sister and da 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 And I'm just like, that's a wonderful thing. I don't know. Let me keep going. But who have you written off? Who is your Samaria? Who is your Samaria? Who, who, you know, how many times do you pass the same group of guys on your block? If we keep moving back, we keep unpacking verse 8. You know, it starts with that, that remote context, the ends of the earth. We move into the immediate context, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And I want to say sometimes we forget to go even further back. Before he even said begin, it's like almost a proto-directive where he says, you need power. I, I just want to say that there is really no substitute for power. Now, I've seen some science experiments where they take the potato and they run a clock. That's not a substitute for power. I mean, you can't put that potato in everything, right? That's just a toy. And I'm not here to insult this church. I love this church. This is my church. This is where I got delivered, set free, uh, you know, filled with the Holy Ghost, all of the, you know. There is no substitute for power. If I'm going to go out and I'm going to take the gospel to anyone, Jerusalem or otherwise, I'm going to need power. And sometimes I'm strategizing because I don't have. Sometimes I'm throwing money at the problem because I don't have. Or sometimes I think if I could just get enough people with me. Now, we have to plan. We need finances to do things. And, and, it's, it, and, and he sent them out two by two. It's always great to go out as a group. But the fact of the matter is, he told them to wait. Because he knew that they were going to be up against something bigger than them. He knew that they were going to have to preach to the people that just killed him. He knew that they were going to have to do some miracles in order for people to stand up and recognize that they were still preaching that name, Jesus. I want to submit to you. What if they didn't wait? What if they had just ran out 
I got it, Jesus. I got it. Jerusalem. I don't think the day of Pentecost would have ended with 3,000 in the kingdom. And the truth is, some of us here are not new. You've been in this church longer than me. This, none of what I'm saying is, is new to you. May I suggest we may need a second touch. We may need a second touch. My, my daughter is 16, about to be 17. If the last time I got touched was before she was born, I'm late. I'm late. I need another touch. Unless I'm finna retire as a witness and I know you're not and I'm not and it seems like Pastor Carter is getting ready for another run. I think that would you stand? I think that we need, would you stand? I think that we need to take the Great Commission seriously because as we unpack it, what we find is that Jesus is saying, yes, start where you are. Yes, go to all Judea and, 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 and don't forget the people that you think you cannot reach and go to the ends of the earth. But wait, 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 wait. Before you leave, get some power. Now, I know what y'all are thinking. Y'all are thinking, we didn't have to study to know we had power. I'm going to tell you something. If we didn't have to study to know that we were impotent, why is so much of what the, the church at large doing marked by impotence? I remember when I graduated seminary, the dean got a, oh, no, no, one of the teachers got up and he said, cast out demons, heal the sick, do miracles, preach the gospel. And then he walked away and I can't shake. I sat there and I just was like, I don't just give me my degree. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Demons. But as the years went by, I started to see why he stood up and almost resigned like, y'all about to go out there and don't have. Because he had been out there. And this was one of the teachers that said, no, I cast out demons. I don't send them anywhere. You know, I don't send the people someplace. I cast them out. I pray for the sick. I love to see the elders praying for this. I remember that when I was all the years that I've been here Tuesday, everybody come down and we pray and we believe by the, oh, in the name of Jesus, that miracles would be done in this age, that we wouldn't keep looking at the Bible and saying, we wish we were living then. This is the time we're living in. We are these disciples. And if miracles are not being done, what's wrong with me? Could you play something, Greg? 
We're just going to pray. We're going to believe God. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you've received power before, let's believe God for a fresh touch. And if you've never received power, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in my house, in my bedroom, by myself. I know you're wondering, then how do you know it was real? (laughs) Listen, just ask. That's what the Bible says. Ask. And then let's go out and do the work that God has commissioned us to do. Would you lift your hands? Would you lift your hands? Let's cry out to God right now for power, that he would pour out his spirit on us, that he would give us the power that we need to accomplish the work that he's given us to do. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We ask that you would come. Jesus, we pray that you would pour out your spirit. Oh God, we cry out to you. We recognize our inability. We recognize our impotence. We recognize our desperate need. Lord, we cannot do your will without your your power, without your spirit, without your promise. Glorify your name. Glorify your name. Glorify your name. Lord, we are your people crying out to you. Your promise is that if we would ask, you would send your spirit. You promised, oh God. You promised, oh God, that if we would ask, that you would send your spirit. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the hour that we're living in. God, we don't want to envy those in the past. We believe you for a fresh move, for a fresh touch. Continue to cry out. Continue to cry out. Oh Lord, we pray for our Jerusalem. We pray for those that we think already made up their mind that they don't want you. God, we pray that you would change their minds. God, we pray that you would change our perspective. God, that we would be able to open our mouths in our apartments, oh God. Lord, we would be able to open our mouths at work. We would be able to open our mouths in our neighborhoods. God, give us the power. Give us the power to testify. Lord, remove the fear. Remove the the prejudice. Remove the discriminatory thoughts in our mind that this one will receive and this one will not. God, we pray that we would not judge by what we see or decide by what we hear. Bring honor and glory to your name. Bring honor and glory to your name. Baptize us this afternoon. Baptize us this afternoon, Lord. We're waiting on you, God. We're waiting on you, Holy Spirit. We're waiting on you, Holy Spirit. We believe you. There was a lesson taught earlier, God. Lord, you have already confirmed you desire to do something in our hearts and in our lives today. And God, we are anticipating a move from you. We expect you to come. Hallelujah. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth 
of my spirit upon all mankind on your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even upon my bond slave both men and women I will not I will in those days pour forth my spirit Lord we stand on your word today believing that you will do what you promised you would do God we need your power we cannot fulfill what you have committed into our hands without you. Lord, we depend on you and nothing else, God. No other plan, no other agenda, no other resource. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, we wait on you. And it is in your presence that we find comfort and peace. Thank you for meeting us today. Lord, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We say yes to your will. And with an open heart, we believe in faith that you have called us to bear witness of who you are as a mighty God. But we know also in faith that we cannot do this without the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. So we receive this afternoon this fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit here in your house. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would lead us as we go out. Empower us. Give us boldness. Put the words in our mouth. May our every action be a reflection of your glory. We are your people, your children, your sons and daughters. You have anointed and called us unto yourself. God, we no longer look to the past, but we look to the future. And we are going forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is an hour that we know in faith belongs to our God. So Lord God, we are believing for salvation in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our city. We are believing that you, oh God, would use us as that voice. That you would use us to be a light in the darkest of places. And to know that the spirit of the living God dwells in us. And we have authority over every demonic attack of the enemy. In the name of Jesus. God, I pray that every wounded, hurting, and broken vessel that is here in your house would be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, I pray for healing right now. 
Heal the brokenhearted. Heal those that are troubled in mind. Heal those that have been crushed by the weight of life and rejection and pain and addiction. I ask, oh God, by the power of your spirit that you would break every chain right now that has kept your people bound. May every heart be lifted as we go out, knowing that the joy of the Lord is our strength, knowing that we are filled with your spirit and we have the victory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.